So uh, this morning, I want to continue on in this year-long series that we're in, uh, looking at the life of Jesus. We're calling it A Year with Jesus, and we're following the uh, Revised Common Lectionary throughout this year, and we're going to be spending all of our time in the Gospel text throughout the whole year. And so most of our year, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, but we've actually taken a, a detour a bit, and we've moved into the Gospel of John just for a few weeks during the season of Easter. I'm not sure why the lectionary jumps to John for this season, but it does. And so we are going to spend some time in the Gospel of John, which I'm really excited about because you, you may have noticed as you've read your Bible, um, for those of you who have read through the Gospels, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot in common with one another. They have a similar tone. There's a lot of the same stories. And then you have John, and John feels like kind of the one off to the side here. It's like, you're kind of part of it, but kind of not, you know, because John has his own way of sharing the story of Jesus and his own way of kind of looking at the world even. And so John is a really unique and powerful gospel. And so I'm excited to spend some time. And some of the resurrection stuff in John is just really, really neat. So some of these stories that we've been looking at like last week and the week before, we're just continuing on in the story and the gospel of John. And so I want to read some scripture for you this morning. And there's actually two. One of them is not the scripture for today, but I've added it in because I think that it's an important one. So I'm going to read one from John chapter 18, and then we're going to skip over to John chapter 21. All right, so they'll be behind me. So John chapter 18, starting at verse 15. This is after Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. So Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus after he had been arrested. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, And the servants and the officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. Peter was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him on the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. I'm going to skip over to John chapter 21, verse 1. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel, 
from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them and said, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard it, heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And then did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, John, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I can only imagine what the headlines would have said. Simon Peter, one of Jesus of Nazareth's closest advisors, abandons his boss and denies he ever knew him. Hear the testimony of a young woman who saw the whole thing. He looked so familiar to me. So I moved a little bit closer. Yep, it was Simon Peter, all right. I had seen him many times standing next to Jesus. I always thought maybe he was one of his bodyguards or something because he was always right there with Jesus. I wanted to know what was going on, so I just asked him. I said, you ran around with that Jesus guy, right? And you wouldn't believe what happened. He pretended like he didn't even know him. Some friend he was. In Jesus' darkest hour, one of his closest friends and followers, Simon Peter, was out standing by a charcoal fire trying to keep warm. Jesus had been arrested, and Peter was there hanging around the city center to see what was going to happen. Three separate times, while he was around that fire, someone asked him if he knew Jesus. And all three times, what did he say? No, I do not know him. I mean, what an awful betrayal. Peter really messed up in this moment. 
And it was even worse because as we're going to see, it seems like that everybody knew about Peter's failure. You know, humiliation and shame and making big mistakes are always really hard to deal with, right? But I would say it's probably even harder when it's public and people know about it. (laughs) Peter's mistake was really, really big. It's not that he just told a lie. It's not that he just told a fib. Peter was a leader in the movement, all right? He was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. Consider this. Peter would have been probably one of the disciples that everybody looked up to. He was one of the guys, because there were the 12 disciples, which all had some leadership, but then there were lots of other followers following. And Peter would have been one of the ones that they knew had Jesus' ear. They would go to Peter for issues. They would go for counsel and direction. And Peter really, really messed up. Consider this. Peter's denial of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels. It is a very well-known screw-up. Peter was publicly humiliated and his reputation was tarnished in a big way. I mean, I want to imagine maybe if social media had existed back then, right? If Twitter had existed. They would have been piling on Peter, right? It would have gone viral. There might have been someone with a video of the denial, right? To catch him in the act. And it would have destroyed his chances, right? Of continuing on in his leadership. Because he would have been drugged through the mud. However, as I think about it, what really happened is not a whole lot different. Because his mess up, is forever broadcasted through the most read book in the world, the Holy Bible, right? And it's in every single gospel. You know, when the New Testament uh, in the first century was being put together and compiled, and, and, you know, John and Luke and Mark and Matthew doing their work to put together the Bible and, and all the others involved, I could, if I was Peter in that situation, I probably would have gone to him and be like, hey guys, like, I know I did that, but could you just not put that in the story? <laughs> like, Can you not report on that event, you know? I know you're trying to be accurate and all, and it was a big deal, but it might hurt my chances of being like the leader of the early church, right? It's kind of a big deal. Peter really screwed up, and everyone seemed to know about it. Now try to imagine the guilt and the shame that maybe he felt after Jesus died. Because he made that mistake. And he never really had a chance to talk to Jesus again. I know if people have a bad encounter and then they lose a loved one and they're never able to kind of repair the damage that's done, it can be so painful. He didn't get to apologize. He didn't get to show Jesus that he still loved him. Now let's fast forward to John 21. Peter and the other disciples had already seen the resurrected Lord. Though they weren't with him for very long. He appeared to them in that locked room. He came back the next time, appeared to them in the locked room. And then he told them to go to Galilee and to wait for him there. Now it makes sense they would go to Galilee. That was their home base. That's where they were all from. This is where they grew up. And so they went north to Galilee. They probably welcomed getting out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem likely was a dangerous place for the Jesus followers after their leader had been executed, right? And so they were probably ready to get out of Jerusalem at that point. And so they gladly went back home to Galilee to wait for Jesus, not sure what to do next. Try to put yourself in Peter's shoes in that moment. What was Peter maybe thinking while waiting in Galilee? 
like our children do upstairs, we can try to wonder what he might have been thinking. Jesus may kick me out of the group for what I did to him. I just need to talk to him. I mean, he left so quick, I really wished I could have explained myself. I wonder if he's really angry with me. I wonder if his feelings are hurt. Is there a way I can make this right? Maybe he doesn't even know yet what I did. Well, he's going to find out eventually. Somebody's going to tell him. Why is he taking so long to get here? Is he really coming? Was that really him that we saw in Jerusalem? So while they waited in Galilee, Peter, along with six other disciples, uh, they were there waiting. And Peter speaks up and says, hey, I'm going fishing. They'd been on this wild journey for three years. They'd seen miracles, faced life-threatening situations, had run-ins with the law, and now without Jesus, they didn't really know what to do next, right? Their lives have been turned upside down. It reminds me of a scene from a movie I loved in high school called The Big Lebowski. Uh, in the movie, the main characters love to bowl. I'm not recommending the movie, by the way, but... Uh, the, the characters love to bowl, and every day they would bowl. They'd go bowling every day. That was their life. And then they encounter some crazy circumstances and they end up involved in a ransom and hostage situation. They go through this crazy whirlwind of experiences and they end up losing one of their best friends. And at the end of the movie, they go to spread his ashes over a cliff and, and they look at each other afterwards and they kind of wonder, what are we supposed to do now? Like, the journey's over, our friend's gone, what do we do? And so they said, well, I guess we're going to go bowling. And so they go bowling. That is what they knew before their lives were flipped upside down. Peter fished before he knew Jesus. You know, and, and so it makes sense that fishing is what he would go back to. You know, oftentimes people give Peter a hard time. It's like, I mean, he just went back to his former life, you know, and we kind of give him a hard time about that. He abandoned the mission, you know, but we shouldn't give him a hard time because, like, think about fishing back then. You know, most of the families weren't wealthy most people were poor. These were poor Jews living in an occupied land. And they, they didn't necessarily fish for fun like we do today um, in America. They fished to survive. This is how they lived. They would eat the fish and also sell the fish for income. So we shouldn't be so hard on Peter for wanting to get back to work. You know, Jesus died and Jesus rose, but they still needed to eat, right? And so they went out on the lake to go and fish. Six more guys joined them in the boat, uh, and they all said, why not, let's go, and so they went. We had Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, John, and two other disciples, and they were out there fishing. They went early, early in the morning while it was still dark, and they fished all night trying to get some food. Now, after many hard days of work, they caught nothing. Now, this would be discouraging for anyone if you spend all night fishing and you don't catch anything, but think about folks who fish for a living. They knew how to do it, right? They knew how to fish. This was their livelihood. And so they had been discouraged. They were probably anxious. They had caught nothing. The sun was starting to rise. Perhaps the other boats were coming out to get started and they had lost that chance to get ahead of the crowds. And then someone from the shore starts screaming at them. And... I would, I'm always like, this happens to me quite often, actually. Peter's just yelling from a distance, you know. And I'm like, I'm always suspicious. Like, what are they yelling? You know, are they talking to me? Turn my head and walk the other way, you know. And, and they see this guy yelling from the shore. And I'm sure they're maybe a little bit suspicious. What's going on? What's he yelling about? Is he talking to us? And he called out to them from a distance. And he said, young men, haven't you caught any fish? 
Now, I would probably be annoyed at that point. I'm exhausted. I've been fishing all night. No, you, we haven't caught anything, dude. Thanks for pointing it out, you know. Uh, maybe they're wondering, like, why are you calling us young, you know? Like, who are you yelling at us from the shore? No, we haven't, they replied back to him. And then the man uh, said to them, he said, okay, here's what you can do. Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you're going to catch some more fish that way. Now, you've got to understand, this advice sounds absurd to me, and I'm, I don't even fish. It's like, I've been going at it all night, and you're just telling me to do it on the other side of the boat, and somehow that's going to work, right? They would probably think this advice was quite strange. Some people have argued that the steering oar was maybe on the right side, so it would actually be hard to cast your net on that side of the boat. Others argue that the nets that they used to fish were likely very large, and it was not that simple just to, like, switch sides. And besides, they've been fishing all night, and this guy thought just changing the side of the boat in this big sea was going to solve all their problems. But why not? They hadn't caught anything up until that point. So they cast their net on the right side of the boat, and the net suddenly grew heavy, and all kinds of fish. 153, John shares. I wonder what that number means. There were so many fish that they couldn't even haul the net in. It was so hard. All of them had to get together to do it. One of the disciples immediately knew it was Jesus. Perhaps he remembered, this has happened before, right? Something like this already happened earlier in our ministry. And and in Luke 5, you read another story where Jesus helped the disciples catch a lot of fish when they had been out all night. So, you know, this guy's probably like, hey, this seems familiar And then he starts to squint, and he's like, no, no, it can't be. That can't be. He's like, yes, that's Jesus. He finally came up here to meet up with us. And so Peter had been like anxiously awaiting this moment, I'm sure. Things weren't right between him and Jesus, his best friend, his master, his teacher. And so he's like, he wasted no time. Peter's one of those guys that jumps on. He jumps all in every single time. I'm the one who kind of is more reserved. Peter's like the opposite of me. He's like jumping in immediately. So he's like, things aren't right. I need to get this right with Jesus. And so as soon as Peter heard John say these words, he put on his clothes, he jumped into the water, and he swam as fast as he could, 100 yards total, all the way to Jesus. And when he got there, Jesus was there on the shore cooking breakfast for them. And he needed some fish to add to the fire. And so Peter, this is a funny part of the story in my mind. Peter was so excited to see Jesus, so eager to help him, that he ran to the boat and he grabbed the entire net full of fish. And it says he carried it himself to the shore. Now keep in mind, all the disciples were working together to get this really heavy net to the shore. But somehow Peter picked it up by himself and took it to the shore on his own. He must have been a pretty strong guy. And I also wonder like, You know, he had felt like maybe I let Jesus down, so I'm going to show Jesus that I love him. I'm going to show him how good I am, how strong I am. He's going to be proud of me for carrying all these fish. And so he runs to the shore, so eager to meet up with Jesus. And when he arrived at the shore, Jesus was there, and he was cooking breakfast for his friends. And here's a really important part of the story. Do you remember what he was cooking, what he was using to cook the fish? He was cooking over a charcoal fire. Now, I don't know if you remember the story we just read before this, but Peter at that moment stood around a fire. Other translations read that it was a charcoal fire that they stood around. I imagine Peter, when he got to the shore, remembered the last time he had stood around a charcoal fire. 
This charcoal fire in this story actually connects the story of Peter's denial of Jesus. These are the only two times that a charcoal fire is mentioned in the Gospel of John. Now I wonder, could Jesus be cooking over this fire to intentionally take Peter back to his failure a few days before? You know, Jesus knew about Peter's denial. After all, he predicted it was going to happen before it even happened. And so Peter comes and sees Jesus cooking by the fire. You know, I could imagine like a mob boss or something pulling a stunt like this to say, hey, you know, dragging their memory. You're going to get payback now for what you did to me. But what Peter finds when he sees Jesus cooking over the charcoal fire is not a Jesus who was angry, who was upset with him. He saw his friend and master cooking breakfast for him. After a long day of work. In verse 12, Jesus says, come and have breakfast. You know, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, actually. And I I really wish I could have been there on the beach that morning. Early morning, I love being on the beach early mornings. And I, I think it would be so beautiful to be there eating fish that Jesus has cooked for me over a fire. Eating that bread with Jesus, sharing that moment. Just imagine how joyful that reunion must have been. Let's try to wonder again how Peter would feel sitting there with Jesus in that moment. There was something that was separating the two of them. Peter had let Jesus down. Perhaps he didn't know how to broach the subject. I can imagine Peter maybe cracking some jokes to ease the awkwardness and the tension. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he just calls him out in front of all the others. Simon, son of John, he says, do you love me more than these? And he goes on to ask him two more times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter responds each time, yes, Jesus, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. You know, I don't believe it's a coincidence that this story takes place the way that it did. That Jesus cooks with a charcoal fire and asks Peter three times if he loves him. Jesus takes Peter back to that moment just a few days before where he was by a charcoal fire and he denied Jesus three separate times. He takes Peter back to that major public screw-up, to that place of pain and shame. And Peter looks at, or Jesus looks at Peter and he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't shame him. He doesn't call him out. He doesn't yell at him. He simply wants to know, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? You know, I like to think about it like this. That Peter's past mistakes and failures, I imagine they were tormenting him. I imagine they were tormenting. We talked about locked rooms last week and how the disciples were hiding out in this locked room. And we all have our locked rooms where we feel like we're kind of, you know, tied down and can't be fully the people that we know God has created us to be. Peter's locked room at this point was probably his big screw up. His triple denial of Jesus. His massive failure when Jesus needed him the most. He was locked up. He was tied down because of that guilt and shame. And all he could do was just go back to that previous life. But Jesus doesn't seem too concerned about all that. He doesn't seem too concerned about the past mistake. He simply wants to know if Peter loves him. I think Jesus shows us in this story that major screw-ups and failures They don't separate us from the love of God. He shows us that He's willing to forgive us. That He's willing to move forward with us in close, loving relationship. You know, I I used to think that when I would get off track and go wandering off down my own path that I would get so, so far away from God. Have you ever felt like that? And I would say, 
I'm so far away from God, I don't know how I'll ever get back to Him. Stories like this show us that we can never get too far from God. That God is pursuing us. That when I veer off the path, God actually follows me down the path. And He meets us in our dark places. He went and found Peter in his dark and, and just messed up place where he felt so ashamed, so guilty. And Jesus found him and He invited him back into deep and close friendship like nothing had ever happened. You know, often when we grow apart from our friends, it's like we think there's so much work we have to do to get things right again. But the best friends are the ones that maybe you don't see them for a while, you get back together and it's like the love is still there. And imagine how much more so for our relationship with God. You know, I think in a loving relationship with Jesus, there is freedom. There is freedom to love Jesus and there is freedom to make mistakes sometimes. And when I make mistakes, I can picture Jesus saying to me, John, do you love me? Like, I get it, you messed up, but do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Okay, John, get up and keep moving forward. Stay on course. Don't abandon this mission and this relationship that we have together. You know, I think about marriage often, and the Bible compares our relationship with God to marriage, and so I think it makes sense, but I think that marriages, you know, are often doomed when when freedom is kind of pulled out of the relationship. When freedom is separated from love, you know, marriages can fall apart when freedom to make mistakes is taken away. And we start keeping scorecards and we start saying, you did this, 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 this. It doesn't really work well that way. And I know all too often I slip into that mindset. I don't believe Jesus wants us dwelling on our mistakes and letting them keep us locked up and locked down. You know, I find it fascinating and perhaps scandalous even that Jesus chose Peter as one of the major leaders of the early church. Other than Judas, Peter has the most notorious and public failure of all the disciples, hands down. And his failure is still very, very public to this day. However, God chose him as one of his leaders. And you know what the qualification was? It wasn't good leadership skills or good reputation or financial success. The qualification was love. Do you love me? Do you love me? Perhaps in churches we can take some advice from that when we're putting people and platforming people and giving people authority and, you know, influence. Maybe we should wonder, do you love Jesus? Do you have that kind of relationship, that loving relationship with Christ? You know, in the Holy Land, I I had the opportunity to go there in 2018. It was a, a powerful experience. But in the Holy Land, one of my favorite places I went hands down was the Sea of Galilee right here in this spot where they believe maybe this all happened. Roughly, you know, they don't know 100%, um, but they're guessing maybe around this area. And there's a church there, there's some different stuff there, but it, it's, it's really just the beach in the, in the Sea of Galilee. And there's a place there with a stone altar that commemorates this site where Jesus had breakfast with his disciples after the resurrection. And it's come to be known um, after a few centuries as the place of the coals, the place of the coals. And this place has been meaningful for so many people because it signifies the moment when one man's life was healed and restored. It signifies that moment when one man, Peter, was healed and restored back to relationship with Christ. From that moment on, Peter was never the same. He began to live into this new resurrection life. And I bet he had very little fear of failure and making mistakes after that because Jesus had shown him in that moment that he could be forgiven, that he could be restored, that he could be redeemed. You know, we can begin to live. This is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We can live 
into that kind of resurrection life today. We don't have to wait until we get all things together. We don't have to wait until we feel worthy. New life is available to us now. A fresh start is waiting for us. Healing is possible. And the question Jesus asks really is this. Do you love me? Do you love me? And if your answer is yes, Jesus, I love you, then I believe his arms are open wide to you, (laughs) inviting you to come to him and find forgiveness and restoration and abundant life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.